Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. That's me. Thanks for tuning in. Nine minutes after 9 a.m. It is the 28th day of December. Yeah, 2020 is almost dead. It's on life support. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Brian Hyde's with me this morning, a Monday morning tradition. Morning, Brian. Hey, good morning. I'm scared about that whole idea of it being on life support, though, because it's somewhere <laughs> I've got in my mind that it's going to be a zombie oh, and it's no. going to come shambling in about 12.01 on New Year's Day. And eat our brains? <laughs> right. Exactly. I guess that's not that's not good. That It's not funny either, <laughs> Brian. Come on. Okay. Knock on wood. Maybe that's that's not what's going to happen, but... It, it's been a pretty pretty rough year, right? <laughs> it has. Although one thing I will say has been good, you and I have both developed our uh, meat smoking skills over over this year, uh, developed them and made them uh, very well, so that both of us, sounds like, turned out and had a really great Christmas brisket. Yeah. Which you were you were commenting before we went on the air. The, the nice thing about it, it tastes good, it's tender, it's always a hit with the crowd. If only there wasn't such a hefty price tag attached <laughs> to every brisket. Yeah, if you, if you get lucky, you can spend forty bucks on it. If uh, you're not so lucky, you're going to spend eighty bucks on on a brisket, and that that's tough. Right. But if the, the one thing about a brisket, as you pointed out, is uh, it it can feed a lot of people. Uh, I fed I think a dozen people, and I still have half left. So. Yeah. Well, and and brisket sandwiches. Mm. I'm sorry. Left leftovers were never better than, <laughs> than a good brisket sandwich. Yeah, especially when it melts in your mouth. All right, I'm getting hungry, and it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, so we probably ought to move <laughs> on, Brian. Uh, of course, the Brian Hyde Show is here on KDXU on the weekend, 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. And, of course, if you want to listen to Brian's podcast, you can hear all 10 hours every week at thebrianhydeshow.com. How's that, how's your show coming, Brian? Do you, you feel like it's growing and getting better and stronger and louder and braver? I am watching the audience grow a little bit every week, and, it, and it's really gratifying. And I, I want you to understand, Andy, I don't intend to ever be famous, but I would like to be known for the right reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right reasons are wrong think, right? Sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> wrong think is the right reason to be known. Well, I, I love uh, going to uh, your website and just perusing your show notes. I, 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 sp- I could spend all day just reading your show notes because you link to some pretty incredible articles uh, from uh, people around the country, a lot of free thinkers, a lot of wrong thinkers, I guess, if you will, right? Yeah, it's just it's nice to see that there are so many voices out there countering the uh, official narrative that, uh, you know, everybody is supposed to stick to. Um, you know, it's uh, Tom Woods, who's an economist and historian, uh, refers to the three-by-five index card of approved opinion. And, and as long as you stick to that card, you're not going to really make any waves. <laughs> but uh, the trouble is, if you start asking questions and say, well, wait, is there more to our world than what we're allowed to speak about and debate about? The answer is yes. So you have to be willing to engage in some wrong think in order to pursue some of those subjects. One of the things that uh, is is difficult for some people, and I admit I'm, I'm a little bit this way, I don't enjoy confrontation. Uh, I would rather... Uh, especially, especially vo- verbal confrontation, which is funny for a radio show host, but I don't, I don't really love verbal confrontation. Uh, I prefer the written word myself. But, uh, but when it comes to verbal confrontation, I, I think one of the things that's really important is for you to be uh, prepared, to have a, a, a salient argument that is well-researched. Uh, there are people out there that when they start losing those salient arguments, they turn to something 
that you link to this week and talk about, and that's the thought terminating cliche. I love this article. Yeah. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about it, Brian, it, it, it's just it's good stuff. This is part of a series that Paul Rosenberg has been publishing on his website, uh, freemansperspective.com. And I think this is number 10 in, mm-hmm. in the essays that he's done about common fallacies that we encounter. Uh, and it's not so much on this is how to argue someone into submission. This isn't Jerry Spence's how to argue and win every time. Yeah. It's just simply if you're going to have an exchange, if you're going to have a discussion, here's how to make sure it's more productive than just you know a verbal throwdown. And, and this week he talks about the thought-terminating cliché, which we've all encountered. And, and it's just it's that fact-free accusation of, well, pff, you and your conspiracy theories, which is meant to shut down a discussion without actually adding any kind of content or perspective to what's being discussed. Yeah, it starts off, he gives an example of maybe one we might have encountered, say, in elementary school, where you're winning an argument or a discussion with somebody, and they say, well, oh, yeah, well, well you're fat, or you're ugly, or you're mama. Right. That, that's the first one we encounter, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I can thank Rush Limbaugh for all these years ago. Um, I remember him having an exchange with a with a caller and the caller went right for, well, you fat piece of garbage. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> and Rush was like, hey, didn't you notice you ran out of substance within the space of one sentence? And I went, hey, that's a pretty good point. If, if you got to resort to name calling, uh, that's not a good sign that uh, that you have something of substance to contribute to the argument. As, as we've uh, aged, maybe that thought-terminating cliche would turn to something like, well, that's your opinion, or you and your, your conspiracy theories, or, uh, right. ah, it's all good, or now is not the time for that discussion. These are ways that people use to, when they're losing an argument, maybe don't, like you said, have the uh, knowledge or weapons at their disposal, they, they try to bail out of the, out of the argument with, with a cliche. And I think it's probably most likely we encounter this not so much in face-to-face exchanges. I think it's actually possible to have a really good, uh, productive discussion face-to-face because there's, you know, there's nuance. You can read body language. We're actually more courteous. You know, if you get too rowdy, someone will punch you in the face. Uh, you know, assuming you you, you want to be really rude. But online, holy cow! It's it makes WWE look like you know something very tame and polite because people don't feel any of those constraints. And that's where you're very likely to encounter this uh, thought-terminating cliche where someone will try to dismiss whatever you're saying. Usually it's with like a laughing emoji or something like that, but, but it's not answering or bringing anything to the discussion that actually leaves either of you wiser. Years ago when I was in college, uh, I came across a, something called cognitive dissonance. And uh, at first, you know, I think I was in a philosophy class. At first I was like, uh, you know, I don't really like that. I don't enjoy talking about it. It doesn't mean much to me. And then I, as, as I got deeper into the class and deeper into my own thought, cognitive, cognitive dissonance started to uh, ring a little true or, or maybe a little uh, di- uncomfortable to me. Will you talk about that? Yeah, cognitive dissonance is, is the discomfort every one of us feels when we bump into an idea that challenges something that we have held to be true long term. Mm-hmm. And, and every single one of us feels discomfort when that happens, you know, and, and, you know, for some people, you know, it's a question of their faith. For some people, it's a question of their understanding. I thought government was here to help us or whatever it may be, but it's very uncomfortable because you can't hold these two thoughts, which both appear to have validity, and yet uh, one is negating the other. So it's like I can't hold two thoughts at the same time when one is true and one of them isn't. And so to avoid that, that's where a lot of people will bring in the terminating cliche because they can just escape 
by, you know, stopping the discussion and, and you know, that's a conspiracy theory and, and move on to something else. A simplistic example of cognitive dissonance might be, say, you have an uncle that you've known and loved and he's been in your mind for 30 years, been a good, good guy. And then it turns out he was, uh, you know, selling drugs or or doing something pretty darn evil in your mind. That doesn't it doesn't make sense, does it? Right. And it's, you know, the, the hardest thing for any of us to admit is that there are things, there are things we just don't know. And, and, and if someone is in a discussion and they're trying to hit you with the, ha, gotcha, Andy, you can't answer that. There's no shame in saying, no, I don't know, or I, I, I can't come up with an answer to that. But it doesn't mean that, uh, therefore, once and for all, I must renounce everything that I've previously known. It just <laughs> simply means, well, I've encountered something that I, I don't understand at this point, or at least that I can't reconcile with what I do believe to be true. But the test is, when you encounter new truth, are you willing to assimilate it? And, and adjust your life accordingly. That's way harder than it sounds. It is. It is, especially when you've, uh, you've you know, hook, line, and sinker with one belief and, and something comes along. But I think the thing about cognitive dissonance, and we'll get back to the, to the uh, cliches here in a minute, but I think one thing about it, it can actually really enrich your life if you are, like you said, open-minded enough to go, okay, it's always meant one thing, but maybe it can mean something else too. Now, you don't have to throw the one thing out, but you can bring the other thing in. Yeah, I, what helps me a lot, and some people may just say, well, Brian, you're just doing mental gymnastics here, but by being flexible enough to acknowledge that, okay, this may be another point of view that I can't completely reconcile with my own, but I ask myself, does it add perspective? Does it give me a greater vantage point than I had before? Even if I can't fully accept it or fully understand it, does it leave me with a little bit broader view than I had before? And if the answer is yes, then I would have to say, okay, then that's probably a good thing. Isn't that your old show, Perspectives, by the way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does it add perspective? Does it add a little bit of perspective like Brian Hyder? Again, we're talking with Brian today. His weekend show is 6 a.m., 6 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays, and you get a bonus hour on Sunday mornings. He goes 6 to 8. Uh, we're talking a little bit about uh, uh, some of the cliches that uh, are thrown out there when you're winning arguments. They're called thought-terminating cliches. Now, Brian, I always I always say this on this program. I like to point out problems, but I hate when we point out problems and don't have an answer to those problems. So what if you encounter someone that you're having a discussion with, hopefully a civil discussion, uh, they run out of uh, facts, I guess, knowledge, information, and they throw a thought-terminating cliche at you, what should I do? You know, I like Paul Rosenberg's advice because the, the instinct most of us are going to have is, is we say, well... Looks like you don't have anything to add. You know, does that make you feel good? I mean, we, we, we want to rub their nose in it. He says that's not productive, and I agree. In fact, he says the best thing you can do is you could just say something like, you've ceased with reasoned discussion. I'll leave you as you are and walk away. Or oh. uh, maybe a more gentle way to say it would be, this has gone from a discussion into an argument, and I don't think that serves either one of us, and walk away. But the key is walk away. Don't, don't offer a parting shot. Just walk away, and what you're doing is you're leaving the door open for that other person to still think about what you said, rather than, well, huh, they stuck the knife in me and then they left. You know, you're, you're not uh, trying to get that final blow in, and that is super important in terms of um, letting them save face. You know, they don't have to admit that they're wrong and you're right, or vice versa. It's just giving them something to think about and, and realize, you know, this came to a point where really it wasn't a productive discussion anymore. It became about winning, as opposed to Let's contribute to, to each other's understanding. 
I equate it to, uh, I know you're not a big lover of sports analogies, but having the ball at the one-yard line with 10 seconds left and scoring a touchdown versus just taking a knee and knowing you already have won the football game. Uh, just take a right. knee. Just take a knee. No, that's a good analogy. <laughs> All right. I, I'm telling you, Andy, the most helpful thing that I have learned and, and, and tried to apply over the last five years or so has been to lose the need to win. And I don't always get it right, but I, but every time that I practice that, of you know, just don't feel like you need to dominate somebody, um, it always seems to have a good result. Even if we don't end up agreeing in the end, at least we part on better terms than, well, ha-ha, I dominated you and went scorched <laughs> earth, and now there you are, curled up, sucking your thumb. Yeah. I can move on now with my day. It sounds like, Brian, that that's part of maturing, perhaps, is the, the realizing, okay, I won. I don't have to, like you said, rub their face in it or whatever. You know, just, just walk away. That's hard, though. <laughs> it's so hard to well, do. And, and, and Paul Rosenberg points out, if you have taken the time to really study and, and to come to an understanding of the truth on your own, you've already won the toughest battle. So you really don't have anything to prove to them. You've proved to yourself that you were willing to pay the price to understand what you understand. All right, let's, uh, let's shift for a second and talk about uh, a young lady who uh, had a college scholarship, was going to be a cheerleader at the University of Tennessee, and, uh, well, somebody decided that they needed to destroy her because of something she did a few years earlier. We're talking a little bit about the case of Jimmy Galligan, moral monster. Yeah, I actually saw this story in the New York Times over the weekend and just thought, holy cow, cancel culture, this is the, uh, this is the natural result. Galligan went to school with this girl, went to high school, and four years ago in his class, um, this girl, Mimi Groves, said the N-word in a Snapchat video lasting three seconds. And it was something along the lines of, I can drive, N-word, you know. Um, She was not, you know, calling somebody out, attacking somebody, but she definitely dropped the N-word. Well, Mr. Galligan sat on the video. Actually, I guess somebody else sat on it. He hadn't, it was sent to him, but they preserved it waiting for the day that they could use it against her. And they had that opportunity. It was released. It became, you know, a social media sensation. And she, who was attending the uh, University of Tennessee as a a cheerleader, um, had to withdraw from the university, had to withdraw from the cheerleader squad because she had, you know, said something four years earlier that was politically incorrect. And it doesn't mean that what she said was, was good, but I, I have to ask, where does, the, where does the statute of limitations come in? Is there ever a point where someone cannot be punished and or ruined for something that they said, for popping off, you know, and, and, and saying something that is considered unacceptable? Yeah, I, you know, if, if we think back on our lives, uh, rewind back to when you were 14 years old, which is, I believe, how old Mimi Groves was when she said that. Uh, did you? Say some things at 14 years old that might come back to haunt you if someone actually had a video of it. I know, Brian, I would be horrified okay. if some of the stuff I said back then was made public now. 14-year-old me is, is uh, the me that I am probably most ashamed of mm. because I had just enough autonomy that I could, I could uh, you know, do quite a bit for myself, but I didn't have the emotional maturity to handle that autonomy well. So suffice it to say, I would say the bulk of my bad decisions in life probably came about age 14, 15. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on, on that one. Now, uh, that, that they made a hero out of this Galligan guy. Uh, in my mind, he's a, I mean, the, the, the way he did things, the way he destroyed this young person's life are, are reprehensible. And then you, you talk to Jimmy now, and Jimmy is not 
you know, oh, I feel bad for her. Oh, that, you know, it's too bad this had to happen. I, do, I wasn't trying to destroy her life. No, he was, in fact, the absolute opposite of that. He said, I'm going to remind myself that she's, you started something. You taught someone a lesson. He taught her a lesson. That was his whole goal. Yeah. 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 You know, she may have changed and matured and become a better person. I don't think you could make the same case for Jimmy Galligan. And, and again, if this, is, if this is the new norm, if this is what we're going to do, we're going to sit on or we're going to pour over everything anybody ever posted or said, looking for something to find offense over, I guarantee that it can be found. But is it acceptable really to go after him and destroy him? And should you take, you know, I mean, I look at, what's the guy's name? Daryl, um, I think it's Daryl Davis, the jazz musician who has personally befriended 200 members of the KKK. I'm talking legit hood-wearing members of the Klan, and he personally has befriended them, and, and they, have, they have symbolically, and I think literally, given him their robes as a symbol of, I was wrong. And I, I can't think of a better example of someone who has brought people into the light who were dedicated to a very racist point of view, and he did it to, not by going out there and destroying their lives, but by actually just getting to know them, and once they knew him, to a person, they said, I can't hate you. Because I know you. So what do we do, Brian, as everyday folks, when, when we encounter something like this? Someone brings up something from someone's past and says, you know, you, you were like this and, and uh, you deserve to be destroyed. I mean, is there anything we can do? I think we, there's a couple of things we can keep in mind. Something about casting the first stone comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about, uh, you know, the whole uh, do unto others as you would have done or judge as you would be judged. But the bottom line is I would ask the person who's, you know, forwarding that information, well, did you hear so-and-so did this? (laughs) You know, ask them, are you the same person you were at 15? And if their answer is no, then what the heck makes you think that that person isn't different, hasn't grown? And if they say, well, of course I am the same person, then you tell them, I feel sorry for you. There's a lot of maturity that should be taking place from that point on. You know, hopefully you're going to be a better person. And, and, And that's true for all of us in every way. We should be a better person today than we were yesterday. I remember a few years ago, Brian, I was broadcasting a couple of football games. But they were back-to-back, so we were on the air probably six hours straight, Mike McGarry and I. And uh, I said something during the course of one of them. I think it was the third quarter of the first game, uh, something that someone took offense to. And uh, they wrote my boss. They wrote, my, 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 they wrote me an email. They uh, got basically anybody they could think of. They, they posted it online about something that I said. And Honest truth was, Brian, I didn't even remember saying it. I don't doubt that I probably did say something. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the N-word or anything offensive like that. It was just something that was off, off-handed against a certain school that, that they didn't like. But I remember thinking to myself, why are you choosing to be offended by this, knowing, you know, this lady had to know that I was on the air for seven hours straight. If you're on the air for seven hours straight, there's a pretty good chance you're going to say something that's really not very nice, accidentally even, uh, and I just, I, I was astounded, Brian, that, that someone would uh, bring that back and throw it in my face. It happens, I guess. Well, and you're never going to win when there are people who are actively looking for a reason to be offended for the purpose of exerting power or some kind of perceived, uh, you know, moral authority over you. They, they, will, they will never relent. And, and I guess the lesson here is, you know, even if you have to go back years and take one thing and try to blow it out of proportion. Um, as, as abhorrent as that word may be that this young lady uttered, just because she popped off and said that word does not mean that she is a racist and forever must be branded as such. 
It just means that she, her mouth outran her brain at some point. Yeah. And I think if all of us are honest with ourselves, we've all been there. We've all said things that were like, okay, I would not be proud saying that on television or in front of a courtroom or, for that matter, even in front of my mother. We're down to the last uh, days of 2020. Brian, what's in store for the Brian Hyde Show in 2021? What's, uh, do you have some New Year's resolutions or goals you put together for the new year? Uh, you know, I'm going to try to focus more on encouragement rather than bad news, and mm-hmm. that can be hard. This, yeah. this has been a particularly tough year because to see the world as it is and to see clearly what's going on requires acknowledging a certain amount of uh, not-so-great news. But uh, I would hope moving forward that uh, those who tune into my show find, yes, they get a good view of what's going on, but they also come away with an understanding that uh, we are far from powerless and and we all have influence in ways that we may not have originally realized. And we should be exercising that influence to improve the world around us, even in small ways. So that's that's going to be my focus. I will say this, Brian, uh, you've been doing that every Monday, just about every Monday uh, on my show for quite a while now. And the message, the overwhelming message I feel like I get from you is, is a good one. It's lift where you stand, that whole, you know, you, you can make the world a better place by making your spot in the world a better place, and then it will go out from there. That's kind of the feeling I've gotten from you, Brian, and I appreciate that message. Thank you, and I'm happy that's the message you're getting. Because there's times I catch myself and I go, wow, I'm being really negative. <laughs> and so I, I have to rein myself in. But overall, I, I'm, I'm very encouraged, and I think that there are people out there who kind of feel that sense that um, rather than just being a complainer or someone who's looking for an enemy or somebody to hate, we need to be the kind of people who are bringing light. Because right now there are a lot of people who are afraid, and they're looking for sources of light. So let's, let's be somebody who can help them and encourage them. Well said. He's Brian Hyde. You can catch his show every Saturday and Sunday right here on KDXU at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And if you want to catch the entirety of his 10 hours, go to thebrianhydeshow.com. Brian, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Andy. Have a happy new year. You too. He's Brian Hyde. I'm Andy Griffin. It's time for weather. Every weekday morning at 9, Andy Griffin brings in the most relevant guests, tackles the top issues, and lets your voice be heard only only on KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome back. We'll go open lines here for the next 20 minutes or so. 6735890 is the phone number. 6735890, the Andy Griffin Show. What's on your mind? How was your Christmas? Did you smoke anything delicious? I'd love to hear about it if that's on your mind. Uh, I don't. I don't mean like cigarettes and marijuana. I mean meat smoking, like bacon and brisket and pulled pork and things like that. Chicken, turkey. What, whatever. Don't, don't call and tell me about. Uh, so my my uh, my friend was uh, actually my son's wife actually was uh, in the Vegas airport yesterday and she found it. She had about a two hour wait before she could get on the airplane and he said he said he got a text back from her. He was worried about her. My son, but but uh, he said he got a text back from her. She said back from her. She said she found a place that was comfortable and uh, kind of away from the crowds and she felt safe. But it smelled like marijuana. No, I think she said it smelled funny, and he identified to her the fact that marijuana is legal in Nevada, and somebody probably was uh, either had it on their clothes or was in one of those designated areas where you can get away with smoking even wacky weed. And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, an interesting uh, day yesterday. Uh, my daughter-in-law flew to Florida late last night. My daughter flew to Colorado to meet with her boyfriend's family. 
potentially, I suppose, to uh, in preparation for nuptials. I don't know. They're, they're not officially engaged yet. But that, uh, you know, as a dad, you send your 19-year-old daughter on an airplane elsewhere, not knowing personally the people that they're going, she's going to see. I, I, I don't know. I, I uh, was really nervous and a little bit melancholy because to me it was kind of the beginning. You, you know, if you have grown kids, you know this. When Once they uh, get away from home, they're never quite yours again, especially if they get engaged and get married. And so it's, it was, a, it was a, a tough moment for Pops last night, uh, but uh, we, we managed to get through it. Um, a couple of things I wanted to talk about, and again, we'll hear, we'll hear uh, from you. If you'd like to call 673-5890 is the phone number. Uh, the stimulus package. Interesting what's, what's happened here. Uh, President Trump uh, came out and said, I'm not going to sign this, the one that came out last week. Uh, he said it, it's got only 600 for the American people, and it's got a whole bunch of money for foreign uh, projects like gender equity in Pakistan and things like that. Uh, but it also, had it passed, uh, would have stopped the government from shutting down and would have given money to the American people and would have added money to unemployment checks and would have added protection for people who are potentially going to be evicted. Uh, President Trump looked at it and he said, man, this, there's, there's so much fat in this thing, and yet we've got to feed, figuratively, the people. So he invoked a, a rule from the 70s, basically said, I will sign this, but my signature only counts if you guys make these changes. And now the House is voting on it this morning. I'm not sure what time. I'm sure they're going to have plenty of debate before they actually go to a vote. But they're, they're, uh, and basically what President Trump has asked is to make the $600 $2,000 for adults and $600 for children to make the, uh, some of the fat, cut some of the fat off of the bill and, uh, and a few other changes. Um, the stipulations put forth by the president, as far as I can tell, could be ignored by the, by the Congress, and, and which means that the stipulations to me are toothless. If they can ignore them and, and pass the bill anyway, then uh, I'm not sure what happens. In fact, I've talked with a couple of different political experts this morning, and they not, they're not sure either because it's, it's a bill from 50 years ago that has seldom been used, and they're not sure... Uh, how it's going to go. But uh, we'll keep an eye on that for you for sure, let you know what's going on with your stimulus bill. The, the first report is, hey, 600 bucks is coming. That's kind of what the news is are saying, but I don't think it's that simple. I think it's going to be a very complicated uh, debate and vote when it comes to the stimulus bill. The other bill, the uh, defense bill, which uh, basically gives a free pass to Twitter and Facebook and some of the social media outlets to continue censoring however they want to censor. It also is very weak on China. Uh, but uh, does give a raise to service members. Um, so, you know, like, like the other bill, there's, well, there's some things in there that need to happen that are good things, but are they going to happen? Well, who knows? Six, uh, let's see, 940. If you want to call, 673-5890 is the phone number. Uh, I came across this article. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. It's about Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci. I know, I know I do a terrible Fauci, but I like to do it anyway because it feels good. I'm from New York, I'm Dr. Fauci. Anyway, uh, Dr. Fauci says the lockdowns, I, I was going to go over his timeline of some of the things that he said and, and as to what really, well, we know what really happened. This is what he said. Uh, back in late January, when the virus, COVID, was first 
really discovered by the Americans, uh, and China had identified it, and they were locking things down. Dr. Fauci said, uh, will lockdowns come to the United States? He said, quote, that's something that I don't think we could possibly do in the United States. I can't imagine shutting down New York or Los Angeles. That's what he said. <laughs> we, know what happened. we know what's happening right now. Less than two months later, 43 of 50 U.S. states were under lockdown, a policy advocated by none other than Tony Fauci. Mm. All right. Uh, number two, uh, the U.S. government and World Health Organization officials advise against mask use. Remember, Dr. Fauci was like, no, masks don't work. They make it worse. People are touching them. It's, it's a bad idea. And, uh, of course, he has flip-flopped on that, as, as has the WHO. Number three, the estimation of what COVID-19 would do. This is something that continues to be a problem. In fact, Dr. Fauci admitted in the New York Times, this is a developing story, in an article in the New York Times that he may have intentionally or otherwise misinterpreted some of the numbers, the projections for COVID-19 in order to make a point. This was back in March 11th that he first admitted to a decimal error. The next big lie, back on March 16th, remember the, oh, we just need to lock down for two weeks so we can flatten the curve. Flatten the curve, huh? Do you you remember that, Miss Producer over there? Yeah, Ellie, yeah. Uh, Flatten the curve turned into two weeks, three weeks, two months, three months. The curve uh, really uh, didn't flatten. In in fact, uh, there was no need for the flattening because the cases weren't that bad. And I'm not going to say that weren't that bad people didn't die. I'm just going to say they weren't that bad. The numbers weren't there. Uh, The U.S. hospital, the Navy hospital ship, only served 182 patients after being in New York Harbor for months. Uh, The Javits Convention Center, they set up a tent hospital. It sat mostly empty for months before they finally shut it down. Um, basically, they, the whole system of flattening the curve was to save the hospital system from a threat that never actually appeared. Frustration. More from Dr. Fauci. He predicted a best-case scenario of over a million deaths in late March. That was uh, in the next few weeks, he said. There will be um, over a million deaths. That didn't work. And in fact, uh, there was uh, not even one-tenth of that number. Then Fauci was part of a group that predicted in Sweden, if they didn't lock things down in Sweden, and he, didn't, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't the author of the study, but he was in, uh, officially part of the study, he said there would be 96,000 deaths in Sweden by early summer. Uh, and then they amended it. Well, wait, 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 we, it, we'll lock things down. We can get it down to 30,000. Well, Sweden didn't lock down, and they had 8,000 deaths. Certainly a, a problem. People dying is always a problem. But uh, the, the 96,000 or even the 30,000 were not even close to being true. Dr. Fauci was in agreement that a ocean spray could help spread COVID-19. This was on the West Coast. He said, yeah, there was a, a big lockdown. In fact, the governor, uh, Newsom, he said, we got to lock things down and get people out of the ocean because COVID-19 could be carried through ocean spray. Uh, that was not true. May 24th, Fauci and his group predicted the death tolls if the U.S. reopens. 
would be 3,000 per day in New York, 4,000 per day in California, 5,000 or in Florida, 5,000 per day in California. All the threat remains in all five states. The post-reopening explosion of deaths predicted by Fauci and his group just didn't happen. And then in late July, Dr. Fauci credits lockdowns for beating the virus in Europe. The virus, as we know, I don't need to expand, expound much more on that one. The virus, as we know, in Europe is uh, out of control. And they lock down harder than anybody else. New Zealand and Australia declared COVID-free in August. Well, that didn't quite work out. It's back in August. Uh, and then uh, how about this? In early October, a group of scientists met where they drafted and signed the Great Barrington Declaration, a statement calling attention to the severe social and economic harms of lockdowns and urging the world to adopt alternative strategy, strategies for ensuring the protection of the most vulnerable. Although the statement quickly gathered tens of thousands of co-signers, it also left the lockdown supporters incensed. They were angry. They responded not by scientific debate over the merits of their policies, but with a vilification campaign. Remember what we were talking about earlier with Brian? The termination cliche? Yeah. So, anyway, Dr. Fauci finally says... uh, by all indicators, New York State has suffered one of the worst coronavirus outbreaks in the world. Its year-end mortality rate of almost 1,900 deaths per million residents exceeds every single country in the entire world. Yeah, this is a Cuomo, and, and those guys are saying that they handled the best of anybody, and yet they're worse than any country in the world. The state famously bungled its nursing home response when Governor Andrew Cuomo forced these facilities to readmit COVID-positive patients, thinking, well, we'll contain it. We'll stick them all in nursing homes. That didn't work. New York has also fared poorly during the uh, second wave, despite reimposing harsh restrictions and regional lockdown measures. By mid-December, New York's death rate shot far above the mostly open state of Florida, which has the closest comparable population size to New York. All things considered, New York's weathering of the pandemic is an exemplar of exactly what not to do. Fauci and his gang just really, you know, and this is the guy, not only was he kind of he, he was the he was the czar of the coronavirus in during trump's uh administration trump i think wanted to fire him i really think he wanted to get rid of this guy but that would have been a really public suicide for for president trump and then biden comes in and says hey you know what he's so good this fauci guy i'm going to make him the czar of uh of my uh, of my administration too and that's just crazy to me. All right, let's go to the phone lines. 948 on KDXU. What's on your mind today? Hi, Andy. How are you? Good. How are you today? I was just talking to Allie. I go, I don't understand. Like, we have billions and billions of dollars that we're literally handing over to other countries. And we're sitting here with people that businesses shut down, so forth and so on. Why, why don't they just give, like, $2 million to every household? If they've got that much money, like $2 million to every household would be, what, about $300 million that they're going to give to the Americans instead of $600 per household? I don't get this. Yeah, it's absolutely frustrating the money that is, I mean, the million, not millions, billions of dollars going to other countries. And it's yeah, like, so we're sitting here, people are struggling, blah, 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 right? 
if they give everyone $2 million, what do you think we're going to do with the $2 million? Some of us, by the way, money just magnifies character to me. So some people are going to go out and blow it, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they're, then they're going to complain that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, where it really just has to do with their own basic work, work ethic. But for the most part, you know, people are going to be ordering from restaurants. It might be to go. It'll get us through the pandemic. Oh. I, I, just don't under, I just don't understand the economics behind this whole thing. We literally could help our country and everybody in it. Houses would be bought. I mean, basically, we would take that money and put it right back into the economy anyway. It's not like we're going to necessarily sit on it forever. Yeah, we'd buy a house. We'd, we'd buy a car. Uh, you know, exactly, exactly. go out exactly. to eat. Yeah, you're right. So why is no Why is no one talking about this? I don't hear this ever expressed ever. All I hear is, "Oh, and in the package, uh, everyone's going to get six hundred dollars." It addresses nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. Oh, oh, we're going to tell your landlord that you, they can't, you know, they can't evict you, even yeah. though you haven't been able to pay for eight months. None of it makes sense to me. Like, where is the common sense in this whole thing? I personally don't think they actually have the money. I think they're just printing money. I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what they're, I think that's what they're doing. And so when they throw these numbers out, it's really hard for me. I mean, except for, I guess, when they took cash and put it on a, a pallet and dropped it off and I ran. I guess that was real cash. I, <laughs> I don't, I just, I, I don't see what they're thinking here. We have a country where people are struggling and things are getting worse when they literally could just take the money and give $2 million. I remember back in the 2008, 2009 decline, you know, the housing bubble thing. Sure. I'm sorry, but they took they took trillions of dollars and invested it into into Wall Street. Yeah, General Motors uh, to Fannie Mae. Yeah, literally giving money to people who took a risk and they lost. And then all, why didn't they just give that money to the Americans? If we really have that much money, why, why not hand it out to us and let us watch watch what we do with the economy? with that type of money no one talks about this i don't get it i i, I just don't understand it i feel other you. than it other than it comes from a place of power because if you know you don't give anybody any money then you can continue to control them i mean other than that i don't see what their what their sense is in the decision making but i called in because i wanted to hear your opinion on what would happen if they just gave everyone two million dollars all right. Well, I, I appreciate the call. I'll, I'll talk about that as we progress here. Um, I, I think one of the things that kind of the red flag that went up when he first brought that up was if everyone gets $2 million, does that not make $2 million then somewhat worthless? Do you know what I mean? I, I just feel like uh, if, if that money, which I'm with the caller, I don't believe this is real money anyway. The, the $600, the 2000 whatever we're going to end up getting is not real money. It's, it's pretend money. It's money that they're making up out of thin air that they're going to maybe throw onto our deficit. And uh, like we, uh, we had a, a guest last week say, well, that's our, our, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren are going to end up paying for that. Uh, but I guess my thought is, you know, that's a way to devalue what the dollar is worth because it might, you might be able to spend it right off the bat. But pretty soon, a new car doesn't cost thirty thousand anymore. A new car costs three hundred thousand, because two million dollars isn't two million dollars anymore. Does that make sense? 
All right, let's go uh, back to the phone line. I, I got to check. My, we, we, we're still working on our system on getting the messages from Hallie over to me, and uh, I actually didn't have my phone handy. Yeah, okay, all right, let's go to Steve. Steve, line three. Hey, Steve, what's up today? How you doing? Uh, I'd like to uh, take a stab. Well, first of all, uh, the reason President Trump with this, you know, signing the bill, he had no choice. He, was, he signed the bill and, you know, everybody gets the free stuff. Or if he doesn't sign the bill, then everybody's mad at him because nobody yeah. got the free oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, he's the bad guy. Yeah, so he had no choice. But So the, the question about, um, you know, the $2 million, and you, you made a, a very good point about uh, cars. But let's talk about something that actually is happening right now in our area, and that's housing. There's a huge shortage of housing. There's lots of wealthy people coming here and gobbling them up and paying cash and driving the cost up. So imagine tomorrow everybody in this town's got $2 million. Hmm. What do you think is going to happen to housing and the prices of it? You're, you're, See, this, this, yeah, this I was going to say your, your half a million house is going to all of a sudden be worth $5 million. Well, the problem is, and this is basic economics, and I'm glad that the caller brought this up because I would venture to say there's not a man in a million that actually understands our economy, money, how it works, what the Federal Reserve is. But this is a great example of too many dollars facing, uh, chasing too few goods. You know, if everybody's a millionaire, what do you think the cost of things in town are going to go up? Because the, everybody knows that everybody's fat with cash. If I've got a car and I got five people standing there wanting to buy it, well, I'm certainly not going to sell it for whatever I was asking for it. I've now got five millionaire bidders wanting my car. Yeah. It drives inflation goes nuts. You, we would have hyperinflation if everybody became a millionaire tomorrow, because now you have way too much money chasing way too few goods. Well, and your example of the housing market is perfect for that. You know, Jeremy Larkin comes on and does his show once a week, and he says, you know, houses now are, are people are coming in, and they you put a, a price on the house, and people are coming in and bidding twenty and forty and sixty thousand over the bid price because they have the money because they're coming from you know somewhere where they sold their house for three and four million dollars. So, perfect example. Yeah, and you wouldn't, the, the, the prices of houses would go up into the millions of dollars, and then we'd be per, pretty much back where we were. Everybody's a millionaire, but the house costs $5 million to buy it. Yep. So thanks for the opportunity to uh, talk about that, Andy. Have a good day. Yeah, thanks for the call today. Let's go to Justin on line four. Justin, are you there with us? Yeah, what's up, Andy? Hey, how you doing, man? Good. Hey, I uh, wanted to thank you, first of all. We stayed at those two con suites that we uh got off uh, the radio show a couple months back that was awesome appreciate it turned out good great that's good to hear it i have not personally yeah. been there myself so that's uh, i'm glad to hear they turned out good yeah hey i just wanted to comment i was having a conversation with my dad this morning we were kind of at odds a little bit but we uh i'm concerned about the fact that conservatives are losing track of what's most important what the goals need to be and that's that we got to get the economies open like, these business owners aren't going to be saved by these stimulus. They're not going to be saved. Families aren't saved by $600 or $2,000. we got to get it open. And then the other part is if they want to do something serious to help us in the short term, then in January, when everyone starts filing in April, when they start filing for their taxes, we should be keeping more of our money. Mm. And those are the things that we should be doing to to help get this country back. It's, and so I feel like almost getting caught up in the 600, 2,000, 2 million. I feel like it's just hush money. 
And I, I feel like conservatives are getting caught up in that and that and that we're losing sight of what's most important is not growing the government, deflating our dollar and weakening our stance in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for calling. I appreciate that. Very well said. You know, when I, I've said this before on my show, it's probably been a year since I talked about this, but I was uh, what you call a uh, independent contractor for most of my career, which meant I did a job. I got paid for the job. That's it. It was up to me to file my own taxes. It was up, up to me. And, you know, and there are things you can do so your taxes aren't as bad. That way I used a portion of my house as a write-off. I used a vehicle as a write-off, my computers, et cetera, et cetera. And so... I didn't pay what you would call uh, a regular income tax. Now, I paid taxes, but it was different. Uh, and then two years ago, when I got this job here full-time for Cherry Creek Media, uh, I started paying real taxes, and I was astounded. I was shocked. So forget stimulus checks. Give me some of that money back. 